0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: They couldn't understand why you would want to come back as a physical body. Y'all remember me talking about some of that? Because they saw the physical body as limiting. They saw the physical body as, as a liability. And so why would a spirit want to come back in a physical body? And so Paul anticipates these two questions.
0: How are the dead raised back to life? And what kind of body do they have?
1: You're not thinking about this because the answer is right in front of you. You see it all the time. Here it is. New life comes from death. Something new has come. Why? Because the old things passed away. They died. Behold, new things, brand new things have come. And bonus, better life comes from death. Better life come from death that's the answer to the second question
0: hello and welcome to crosswalk over the last several weeks we've been in first corinthians chapter 15 as the apostle paul carefully lays out a case for the validity of the resurrection as pastor clay has explained in earlier messages cultural influences had caused some in the church in corinth to question whether the resurrection was actually true the reality of the resurrection just
1: doesn't just change our eternity the reality of the resurrection changes our carnality In other words, man, before I came to Christ, it was about me, my flesh, and and what what I thought was right or what I thought would please me or, or whatever else. But the gospel brings a purity into our lives that changes us.
0: In today's message, Pastor Clay is going to explain how the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to anticipate two questions, the two I mentioned a moment ago. How are the dead raised and what kind of body will they have? Paul's answer to those questions is more simple than you might think, but incredibly important to all of us who have put our hope in the gospel. Now here's Pastor Clay. I lead you to the
1: cross. Some of you know, if you're at all student of history, you know a little something about history. If you know much about world Uh, war history, then you know that uh, World War II ended in uh, 1945. It ended in Europe in uh, the spring, April or May, and uh, it ended in the Pacific. The Japanese uh, surrendered in like August, I think it was, of 1945. But do you know when the last Japanese soldier surrendered after World War II? 1974. Almost 30 years after the end of the war. You know why? It wasn't what you might think. It wasn't because he didn't know the war had ended. He just didn't believe it. The, the uh, Filipino people... It was, it was common knowledge that, that there were several groups of Japanese soldiers immediately after the war that, uh, that didn't surrender, refused to surrender, stayed up in the mountains of the Philippines, uh, one of the last kind of strongholds uh, for the Japanese people in, in that part of the Pacific. And uh, several groups were there, and some eventually surrendered and came in, and some died, and, and, and it, groups grew smaller and smaller. Uh, but the Japanese, or the Filipino people, would leave some uh, leaflets around all over the place because these, some of these Japanese soldiers were coming into town occasionally, I guess, pilfering for food. They were doing kind of guerrilla warfare, burning rice fields sometimes, things like that, uh, as to try and, you know, stop the, uh, the allies against the Japanese, or so they thought. And so the, the Filipino people would leave leaflets saying, Hey, uh, y'all surrendered in August '45. Come on in. And they would, from the account, we know that they would look at these documents, and they said, "It's a trick. It's a trick. They're trying to get us to surrender." And they wouldn't surrender. They, they wouldn't believe. No, it couldn't possibly be true. The war couldn't possibly be, be over. This good news couldn't possibly be right. We, we, we surely would not. We couldn't go back to our families and back to the life that we had. It, it could, couldn't be true. The the uh, allies dropped leaflets out of the, from planes. Dropped leaflets. They read those. They looked at them. Uh, there was a, an actual uh, an imperial edict from the emperor. Uh, but then they studied it, and they said, "No, this this is this is a trick. This is this is fake." Finally, the last guy in uh, 1974. I think he was the last guy. Um, met some the way anyway, he's described like this Japanese young Japanese hippie guy that had had a goal in life. He wanted to meet this soldier that everybody knew was up there. Um, he wanted to find a Yeti and, uh, and some other crazy thing. I don't remember what it was. So he goes to the Philippines into this area where they think this guy is. Sure enough, he meets him. He tells him, hey, uh, and he's a Japanese. It's true. The war's over. He says, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I won't believe it un- until uh, my commanding officer uh, tells me that it's it. Because my commanding officer told me that, 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 he would, that he would be back to get me. He went home to Japan, they, they tracked down, sure enough, found this guy's commanding officer, get him out there, uh, and, and he meets him, and he gives him this official thing, saying that, yeah, surrender, it's true, it's true. I hate to break it to you, dude, but it ended 30 years ago. Now think about, I mean, what, what did that guy miss in 30 years? His family, his, was his wife still alive, was he married, did he have kids? I, I don't know, I, I don't know what, I guess I could do more research on it, but... But he missed so much because he refused to believe this, this good news. It couldn't possibly be true. That's the case, oftentimes, with what we call the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people just will not believe it. Sometimes people just refuse to believe it. Now, people may have various reasons for, for not believing it. But, but the truth is, sometimes people refuse to believe that the gospel could really be true. I mean, if you think about it, it it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. As a matter of fact, I would think that people that hear the gospel who are not under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if the, if the Spirit is not, you know, working in their lives at that particular moment, something's going on, whatever the case may be, if you think about it, for them to hear something like, yeah, uh, of course, God is real, and God loves you, and you've blown it. Uh, you're separated from God because of your sin, uh, but hey, God's got it covered because God... Uh, came to earth, uh, God lived a perfect life, God willingly laid down his life, died on the cross, physically dead. But three days later, he got up out of the grave, uh, proving that your sin bill was paid and conquered, and, and he went back to heaven after uh, 40 days. He went back to heaven, and he's coming back to get us someday so that we can be with him in heaven uh, forever. Now, think about it. Yeah, and y'all say amen, right? Cause you, but think about it. Y- y- y'all have neighbors that when you say that to them, they're, they're like their eyes glaze over. And y'all ever, y'all ever say something like that to somebody and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. nurse, nurse. <laughs> yeah. Right? Sometimes people just won't believe the good news. But for those who do believe the good news, man, it is really good news. We've been walking through that good news for now. What is the fourth week in 1 Corinthians 15? This chapter devoted just to the gospel. The importance of the gospel, why it matters, why it's so important, and and even more so, specifically within the the context of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Why uh, everything about the gospel uh, hangs on the reality of the resurrection, whether it's true or it's not true. We've been walking through that, for, like I said, for three weeks. This is now the fourth week, and we're going to dive into it today. If you haven't been here before, you can go back and listen to some of those other messages if you're interested, if it piques some of your curiosity about some of the previous things. They're listed on the back of your information sheet. We're going to fill a couple more in uh, today, and then, uh, Lord willing, we'll finish 1 Corinthians 15 uh, next week. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just the gospel. You just can't rush through the gospel, folks. You can't rush through it. Now, here's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to start with this idea. We're going to start with the purity from the gospel. And we are beginning in verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Did y'all, grandma, ever use that line on y'all? Yeah, right there's where they got it from. Do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Apostle Paul, uh, we covered it extensively last week, but the Apostle Paul actually quotes from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 13, in verse 32... Here of 1 Corinthians 15. He actually quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And he says something that I'm sure was intended to shock the Corinthians. I think I said that to y'all last week. It was in, I'm sure that it was intended to shock the Corinthians. And just as sure as I'm, I believe that it was intended to shock them. I'm just as sure that it shocked them. Hearing it coming from the mouth, so to speak, of the Apostle Paul. When, when he says in, in, in his argument, uh, he, he brings this protest, if you remember I said last week, he brings this protest against the gospel if the resurrection isn't true. If if that didn't happen, then here's my protest against this resurrection. And and you may remember this again from last week. Basically, Paul said, if the resurrection isn't true, then he said this, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The resurrection isn't true. Live like you want to live. Act like you want to act, indulge in as much as you want to indulge in, do whatever you want to do, because nothing matters. It doesn't matter. This life is all you've got. If there is no resurrection, now that philosophy of life, and, and that is a, a, a philosophical view of, the, of life, was uh, was birthed out of what was called the Epicurean movement in the Greek culture. The Epicureans were a group of people that just believed, hey. Mm. Right here, right now, no sense in worry about anything else. I, I, I'm right here, right now, I'm going to do whatever I want. This life is all there is. They gave, Epicureans would give, would give little to no thought about the afterlife, about an eternity, about anything like that. It's just about this life right now, so go for it. So, for, for the Apostle Paul, basically be coming alongside the Epicureans and saying, hey, just go for it. Indulge in whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want. It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if there's no resurrection. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that must have shocked the Corinthian people. But just as as soon as he shocks them, he shocks them back into reality with this statement in verse 33. He says, "Do not be deceived. Oh, just listen, eat and live. Do whatever you want because it doesn't matter." Do not be deceived. The word for deceived, by the way, is planasthe. It comes from the root Greek word planao. Hey, it's the same word that we get our word planet from. The word means to to wander about you see to the to the ancient greeks the those those planets up there in the in the sky those things moving across the night sky were just they were just wandering around being being influenced by who knows what as they went across the night sky what a powerful picture of a culture that rejects the god of the bible and rejects the authority of god's word wandering about influenced by who knows what and whatever every person deciding for themselves what is right, what is wrong, nothing matters at all, to just wander around. And then Paul says this in verse 34, become sober-minded. Do not be deceived. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God and I speak this to your shame. Let me give you what I believe it would be a kind of contemporary translation of what Paul just said stop acting like a drunk stumbling around wandering around wandering if you ever been behind somebody drinking on the road wandering all over the road stop stumbling around wandering around stumbling into sin stop stop living like you don't even know God exists shame on you that you, would, that you would do, that you would live this way. Stop sinning. It's this call, this, this purity that comes from the gospel. Not perfection, nobody's saying that, but this, this desire for purity, to live my life in a way that honors God versus in a way that was simply for the pleasing of my flesh. If there's no resurrection, go for it. But if the resurrection is true, live like it's true. That's what he's saying. That's what happens. That's what the gospel does. It brings a purity into our lives, a desire to live for God. I don't know how many uh, country music fans we have in here uh, today. Come on. Merle Haggard rolling over in his grave and hear y'all say that. Come on, I I don't know how many country music fans we have in here, but even if you're not a country music fan, Almost every person is, uh, knows about the Ryman Auditorium. Almost everybody knows or has seen, maybe has even been to the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. The Ryman is, is ground zero for country music. It is, uh, a- a- any person desiring to make it in the business of, of country music dreams of the day that they might be invited to perform on the Grand Ole Opry at the Ryman. I mean, that, that's like, that would be the pinnacle. But you know, a lot of people don't know the backstory about the Ryman. Thomas Ryman was a wealthy, successful businessman in the Nashville area in the 19th century, post-Civil War. He had made his fortune by uh, running a series of riverboats In fact, he he owned, uh, I think it was something like 35 barges, riverboats, gambling boats that rolled up and down the Cumberland River delivering cargo, uh, delivering liquor, delivering uh, gambling uh, opportunities, all all up and down the Cumberland River. And he'd become very wealthy doing it. An evangelist named Sam Jones had come to Nashville and had begun to do a series of Re- I started to say old-time revival meetings, but it, it was the time back then. It was the old time back then, in the 1800s. They started doing a series of revival meeting tent meetings. Y'all, any of them ever been to, been to a tent meeting? It's a, it's a world all of its own, man. Go to a tent meeting. But uh, Sam Jones was doing these, these tent meetings, and apparently God was just producing an amazing... Uh, pouring out uh, from these tent meetings. It was making a difference in the community. People were giving their life to Jesus Christ. And, and it's not, I don't think anybody's quite sure how he managed to do this, but somehow Sam Jones uh, convinced the city of Nashville to close down every bar and gambling establishment in Nashville um, on the nights of his revival, tent revivals. Well, as you can imagine, this drastically cut into Thomas Ryman's business. And he was not going to put up with this. And so, the account is, Ryman, with a group of men, went down to the tent revival uh, one night with the intention of busting it up. Get, get, being done with this once and for all. But then, something that, something happened that we in the business call a God thing. <laughs> yes, Thomas Ryman came under the conviction of the Spirit of God as Sam Jones was preaching and he gave his life to Jesus Christ that night in in the very tent revival that he went to bust up. And I've read that Thomas Ryman left there, went straight down to the docks and had his men push, throw every piece of gambling equipment that he had overboard into the Cumberland River that night. And Thomas Ryman became a staunch advocate for the gospel and for the spread of the gospel in, into people's lives to make an impact. Matter of fact, he was so moved by, by Sam Jones preaching that he said it will not do that Sam Jones is preaching out here in this tent revival. Maybe it's fine in July, but it don't fly well in December or January in Nashville. We, something's got to be done about this. And seven years and hundred thousand, more than $100,000 later, no small amount in post-Civil War South, in 1892 the gospel tabernacle opened in Nashville, Tennessee. A building erected so that Sam Jones and other evangelists could come in and could preach the gospel so that any person at any time of year could come in and hear the gospel, regardless of weather conditions or anything else, that the gospel could be shared. And for years, that's exactly how the gospel tabernacle was used for the, for the perpetuation, the spread of the gospel. When Thomas Ryman died in 1904... His funeral was on Christmas Day, 1904. Sam Jones preached his funeral. More than 5,000 people attended his funeral. That was the kind of impact Thomas Ryman had had in the years since coming to Christ. More than 5,000 people attended the funeral. And at the funeral, Sam Jones said that we need to change the name of this building and name it in honor of Thomas Ryman. And it's been Ryman Auditorium ever since that day. And it stands truly as a living testimony of the power of the gospel to change a person's life. That's what Paul's talking about here. This purity, this desire for purity that comes into our lives as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, Matthew chapter three, says this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you Brood of vipers. Not the kind of greeting you usually give baptismal candidates. But look at what he says. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, watch this, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, okay guys, I, I got you. you come down here. You've come down to the Jordan. You want to be baptized. But I'm telling you, if this is more than just a spectacle, if this is more than just a show... And let your lives show that you're different as a result of it. That's the, that's the purity that comes from the gospel. Jesus himself uh, said this in uh, Matthew chapter seven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. In other words, the, the person that desires to, man, how does God say I ought to handle this situation? How does God say I ought to love my spouse? How does God say I ought to treat my my, my uh, fellow Uh, neighbor how does God say I ought to uh, handle whatever it is that's the purity that comes from the gospel Jesus again in uh, Luke uh, chapter 6 why do you call me Lord Lord and do not do what I say that's a very profound that that passage as much as any other just grips my heart why do you call me Lord Lord and do not do what I say I've reminded myself of that many times even though I know I've come to Christ in a relationship with Christ I can think of times in my life where I, was, I would say Jesus is my Lord but, but then I can think of my conduct or my actions and I think boy why do I call him Lord, Lord if I'm not going to do what he says. You see here's, here's, here's the gist of what Paul is saying. Here's the way it looks. The reality of the resurrection just doesn't just change our eternity. The reality of the resurrection changes our carnality. In other words Man, before I came to Christ, I don't know about y'all, y'all were probably goody two-shoes or something, but before I came to life, Christ, it was about me, man. It was about how I wanted to live my life, what I wanted to do. Uh, It it didn't matter. Anything about, oh, maybe I'd try and do the right thing now. But you understand what I'm saying? It was about me, my flesh, and and what what I thought was right, or what I thought would please me, or, or whatever else. But the gospel brings a purity into our lives that changes us. So that, it's that, oh, sure, I can still struggle with my flesh. Does anybody struggle with their flesh from time to time in their life? I can still struggle with my flesh. But he's saying that now there comes this desire to, to, to walk away from my carnality, my fleshiness, and, and to live for Christ. It's purity from the gospel. Paul simply saying, resurrection isn't true. All right, I don't blame you. I'll join you. I'll live my life any way I want to. It doesn't matter. That's my protest against the gospel if the resurrection isn't true. I'll live my life any way I want. And you ought to live yours any way you want. But if the gospel is true, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then you ought to live your life like it's true. Here's the, the second idea this morning. It's the process in the gospel. Now we're going to walk through this in the process in the gospel. I want to start reading in verse 35 and I'm going to read down to verse 49 on this. But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as He wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and, and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly one and the glory of the earthly, earthy is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star and glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also, it is written The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As the earthy, as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. I know there's a lot in there. Uh, there's There's a lot to... To chew on, as I like to say, is a lot to chew on. That in there and think about all that. I want to try and uh, I want to try and uh, expedite it. I want to try and, and shorten it to some degree. Uh, and, and let me just put it this way: Paul, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, anticipates two questions coming from the people. Two questions that he anticipates. that are right there in the text. How are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? How, how, how are the dead raised, and, and in what kind of body do they come? I covered this. Uh, Pretty in-depth a couple weeks ago, I think. But for the Greeks, it was a struggle to, to think about a person coming back to life physically in a body. Not because they didn't believe that it was possible. Not because they had a problem with supernatural Greeks had no, they believed in all kinds of gods, all kinds of supernatural things. They didn't necessarily have a problem with believing that it was possible to come back to life. They just didn't understand why. Because of the influences of some of the, the philosophers, they couldn't understand why you would want to come back as a physical body. Y'all remember me talking about some of that? Because they saw the physical body as limiting. They saw the physical body as, as a liability. And so why would a spirit want to come back in a physical body? That's the struggle for them. And so Paul anticipates these two questions. And the answers that he gives them are these natural analogies. First question that he deals with, how are the dead raised? In other words, okay, Paul, you know, we're trying to get with this, but how? How are the... How are the dead raised? In other words, what is the mechanism that, that allows this thing to happen? How can a uh, body be dead and then come back to life? <clears throat> Paul's answer is abrupt and it would appear not very complimentary. Look at it. He says, <clears throat> you fool, <clears throat> that which you sow does not come to life. Unless it dies. You fool. In the Greek language, the New Testament was originally written in. The word for fool is aphron. It's the word for mind, phron, with what's called an alpha privative in front of it. You see that, that A, that, that, that's an alpha, that, that alpha privative in front of it, which basically negates what comes after it, or, or means just the opposite. So, phron is mind, afron would be without a mind, or literally, mindless ones. I don't really think Paul, I mean, everybody knows Paul, he's a straight shooter, he calls it like he sees it, but I really don't think Paul's trying to be insulting here. I think he's simply saying to them, hey, you're you're not not using your heads here. You're not thinking about this, because the answer is right in front of you. you. You see it all the time. Here it is, new life comes from death. There's your answer. What, what is the mechanism? Here it is, new life comes from death. Now, those are my words, not Paul's. But that's what he's saying in this analogy, that, that, this, this planting analogy that he gives. If you've been in this study, you know we've talked about it. Corinth was this large metropolitan city built on trade. But the world, by far, was built on agriculture. It was, it was an agrarian society. It was built on agriculture. And every person in Corinth would have understood Paul's analogy. Every person in Corinth would have understood, yeah, if, if, you, if, you, want, if you want wheat to make bread, if you want corn to eat, if you want uh, fruit from a fruit tree, a seed has to go into the ground. And that ground, and that seed has to die. It has to decay. It has to fall apart. But from that death springs this new life. There's how, there's the mechanism. New life comes from death. And you see it around you all the time. It's simply the process God put in place. And by the way, it's not only true in the natural world that God created, it's true in the spiritual world that God created. For you and I to be born again, John chapter 3, for you and I to, to have this new life in Christ, guess what we have to do? We have to die. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to trusting in our own good works to get us into heaven. We have to die to to living for this world and living here. We have to die to ourselves to have new life in Christ, which is exactly why Apostle Paul went on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Something new has come. Why? Because the old things passed away, they died. Behold, New things, brand new things have come. That, that's how, the, that's this mechanism. That's how this thing works. New life comes from death. Hey, it, I'm not a horticulturalist and I, you know, I'm sure there's stuff I, you, that any of us could learn about it. But but there's some sense that there, maybe, yeah, maybe there's some mystery in, in all of this. In, 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 but it's something you see all the time. Something goes in the ground and that something dies. And from that, something Comes up out of the ground, and bonus, better life comes from death. Better life comes from death. That's the answer to the second question: What kind of body do they come with? Okay, and with what kind of body do they come? And Paul's answer is a better one. That's what kind of body it is. Paul uh, lists all these uh, different things. Well, let's look at it. In verse thirty-seven. He says, "And, and that which you sow." you do not sow the body which is to be. In other words, to get an apple tree, you don't plant an apple tree. You don't put an apple tree in the ground. It's a big hole. That which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of of something else. In other words, in other words, I, I guess you could try and live off of apple seeds. As long as you had them, I guess it would run out. But I guess you could try and live off of apple seeds. But I, I'd much rather live off of the apples that were produced from the apple tree that was produced from the death of the apple seed that went into the ground. You understand what the, what the application for us is? What what comes up is gonna be much better than what went down in there. Better life. That's Paul's answer. It's gonna be so much better. Look at what he says. Uh, we read it earlier, but I want you, I, we gotta read it again. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Now, he's listed, you know, all these different kinds of flesh, right? He says, there's, there's some, uh, there's, there's human flesh and animal flesh and bird flesh and fish flesh. It's hard to say, fish flesh. And, uh, and these planets, they're, they're the celestial stars, he, the earth and, hey, he says they're similar. They're similar, but they're different. They're better. Something better is a result of it. Look what he said. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. A body that is decaying. A body that is dying. A body that dies. Oh, but it is raised an imperishable body. I like the sound of that. What about y'all? I like the sound of that. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It's getting better and better. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Notice, can I did that for you? <laughs> Sorry. Notice a spiritual body, not just a spirit, a spiritual body, he says there. You don't you don't you don't put in the ground what's coming up out of the ground. It's just, it, it, it's just a bare grain of wheat wheat or or whatever you happen to plant in the ground. But what comes out of it are these stalks of green grain. They're gonna make loaves of bread and and all different kinds of biscuits and jam and all, you know, whatever, whatever all. Right? It is so much better than what you put in the ground. It's like what? Look at this. I got me an apple tree, orange tree. You see what am saying? It's better. It's going to be so much better. That's what kind of body it's going to be. Now, listen, look at this. I want you to see this. Uh, John uh, chapter 20 uh, is after the resurrection, right? After. Eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. If you remember, the first time Jesus appeared to the, uh, to the disciples, Thomas wasn't with them. And when they told Thomas, Hey, we've seen the, the Savior, he's resurrected. And Thomas, said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it till I put my finger in his hand, put my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe it. So, eight days later, no, no, I, I want you to notice this. Notice what John, John's dropping these clues here. Jesus came. The doors having been past tense shut and stood in their midst. Do you understand what he's saying to us? The doors are shut, the doors are locked, and Jesus just shows up. Well, oh, well, there you go. He must be it must be a spirit, he must be a ghost. Ah. And said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. Pretty sure you gotta have a side. For somebody put their hand in it. <laughs> and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Not that that's a bad thing. Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Guess who that is? Yeah, that's right. It's us. It's us. But you see what he says? The doors are shut, but, but Jesus just shows up. But, but wait, it's a physical body. I can, I can touch it. I, I can put my hand in his side. We, we know that he ate with them. We know that he, they drank with it. We, know, we. You understand? It's, it's similar to that physical body, but it's better. It's way better. <laughs> Look at uh, Romans chapter 6. Paul says this. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. There it is again. He says it um, again, shows up in 1 John. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We're still in this, right? We're still in this thing. It has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. Oh, it's way better, folks, and that's that's the process of the gospel. That's, that's this thing that we're working through. This, this, old, this body. Wearing down, wearing out for the purpose of the gospel. To live like it's true. So that someday, in God's timing, we can take up a brand new one. A better one. One like similar, but way better. You know, it, it comes a point in your life, and I don't know when that is, when when you're young, however you want to define young, (laughs) when you don't think a lot about it, but there comes some point in your life where nobody has to remind you that you're dying. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you know what I mean by that? I I mean, there comes a point sometimes where, maybe not all the time, but there comes a point where your, your aches and pains have aches and pains. Your your hair turns gray or turns loose. Coffee becomes uh, becomes less uh, something we. Coffee becomes a necessity (laughs) to get us going in the morning. You know what I'm saying? It, It it just it's the physical body. It's wearing out. It's wearing down. It's the sin curse. The entire creation is under it. It's the way it is, which, by the way, that's why, sidebar, that's why Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Now listen, Paul's not saying that we can't remember our creator or serve our creator when we're older. We ought to serve God, we ought to live for God as long as there's breath in our body. There is no retirement plan in the kingdom of God until we're in there. You understand what I'm saying? He's not saying we can't remember our Creator when we're old. He's simply saying that we, there's no time to lose, and so you better live for God every moment that you got, because we just not here that long. And when you're younger, you, I'm just, it's just honest. When you're younger, often you can just do more. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, for we know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. If the resurrection isn't true, then it doesn't matter. If it is true, then we ought to live like it's true, and we ought to, we ought to take this process that God has given us and use this body, to, every ounce of this body, every, every breath that we have, every hour that we have, for as long as we have, to live to try and honor and glorify God because someday, this body, not to freak anybody out here today, but if Jesus tarries, every person in this room is going to die someday. Someday. But if we've given our life to Jesus Christ, death is not the end. And this body that goes in the ground will come up as a brand new body, a better body. And it's all made possible because of the gospel. Because of the good news that Jesus Christ went to the cross, paid for my sins and yours, went into the grave, then kicked death to the curb three days later, came back to life and promises that when we see him, we will be like him. We can have that same body, similar to what this body may be, but different, better. It's all made possible because of the gospel. Hallelujah. What a Savior.
0: The importance of purity in the lives of followers of Jesus. I like the way Pastor Clay put it in today's message. If we believe the gospel is true, then we ought to live like it's true. Our lives should reflect the purity God desires for us. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but the Spirit of God empowers us to live for Christ and not ourselves. And as we heard today, there's a process in the gospel. As the Apostle Paul showed us, new life coming from death is something we see around us all the time. And for followers of Jesus, because of the gospel, when we die, someday we're getting a brand new body. And as we heard today, a body that will be much better than the one we have now. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God.
1: My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety.
0: Many people, at some point in their life, feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible, and what their lives look like on a daily basis.
1: What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores.
0: I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com, and ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore.
1: You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I get it from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get.
0: Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church.
1: I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the flip. I want to the cross I lead you
0: to the cross Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.